What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcasts in English on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Now on to the show. Blue Wire. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. And Westbrook is on the freeway! What's up, guys? Welcome to Choose Podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. Today, we're wrapping up our Rockets head coaching search topic, and we kind of want to talk about the coaches the Rockets have on board and, and have already interviewed, because we've been speculating for the past three episodes what kind of coaches they might go ahead and interview, but now we have a more or less solid list of coaches that they have interviewed and possibly will interview. So for the podcast today, we have on Ben DuBose of USA Today Sports. Ben, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing all right. So in 2016, the Rockets were eliminated from the playoffs on April 27th, and yep. they hired Mike D'Antoni on May 26th. So that search lasted about a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike D'Antoni told the Rockets this year that he wasn't coming back to the team on September 13th. Uh, it's October 9th right now, and they haven't interviewed every candidate once yet. And what I mean by that is they normally have the first interview, and if they really like the guy, they, they'll bring him in for a second interview. They haven't done that yet. So I suspect the coaching search will last about a week or two longer than the last one. Um, why do you think this one's taken a bit of time? Like I have a theory, but I'm curious to hear what you think. So I think generally, I do think there's some truth in what Jonathan Fagan of the Chronicle has reported that the Rockets took the first week or two after to sort of assess where they're at, what their goals are. Certainly, Gerald Morey, GM, leading the search. I don't think they wanted to make a panic move. And I do think there's certainly some credence. There's way too much noise that they wanted to bring back Mike D'Antoni. That was said too many times throughout the year and then the report afterward by Jonathan for that to be nothing. So I do think that this was not a situation where they had been thinking about this for months. Maybe they had been thinking about the possibility, but there was also the option of them staying the course with Mike, especially depending on how the playoffs went. So I don't think they were fully committed to a change until right then. So I do buy to some degree that some of it was just sort of to take stock of, okay, what are we going to do this off season? What's our plan moving forward? What's our window? Is it one year? Is it two years? What are we going to try and do with the roster? Because part of it, it's not just who they interview. The coaches will also sort of interview the Rockets in terms of what will they do with the roster? Do they have options beyond the small ball? How much is Tillman Fertitta willing to spend, et cetera, et cetera? The other part of it, 
and I put this on Twitter several times, but let's just be real. There's way too much noise around Jeff Van Gundy for him not to at least be a candidate. And what do we know about Jeff Van Gundy? He's stuck at the bubble because he's announcing the finals for ABC. So until the finals come to a conclusion, and that could be as soon as tonight, then Jeff cannot do an in-person interview. And there's just been far too much noise, in my opinion, all season long about Van Gundy and the Rockets for it not to at least be a consideration. Not saying that they're 100% committed to it, but I think at a bare minimum, they want to sit down with Jeff and talk about if there's a potential fit there. They can't do that until the finals are up. So I do think to some degree, it's been slow played. And once the finals end, you'll hear of a meeting between Van Gundy and the Rockets. I don't think that makes it a lock that he's going to get the job, but I do think they at least want to sit down and talk to him about the possibility. So to me, that's one of the clear reasons why that I think they've stalled a little bit more than even they did in 2016. So you kind of touched upon the theory I had. Like, I think, I really do think they wanted to bring Mike D'Antoni back. And I think they were blindsided when he told them he wasn't going to return on September 13th. I think they wanted to get Mike in a room, talk to him, try to mm-hmm. t- try to ease his con- his concerns about the roster, about you know any sort of questions he may have about the organization and, and their commitment to him moving forward. Definitely wanted to talk to his agent, Warren Legary, before uh, they made that decision. And they never got that opportunity because Mike left before they had that chance. And I think... You're 100% right. They had a two-week strategy session after the season because they, I think in 2016, they had time during the season to kind of plan what they were going to do at head coach. This time, they didn't have that plan. Uh, They kind of assumed that they would have Mike D'Antoni in hand and possibly try to bring him back. They never got the option. So I think that's why it's taken so long. Uh, now Now they're pretty much in standard... Rockets head coaching interviewing procedure like this is how they always do things like right. when, when they hired Kevin McHale when they hired Mike D'Antoni and they're doing the same thing now they're they're doing their standard interview process they're doing the their Rockets thing which is where they interview a ton of candidates they uh, assess what they want out of a head coach they they let that coach ask them questions and they're more or less better prepared to make their decision than most organizations when they make their hires. Cause a lot of, a lot, I feel like a lot of co- a lot of organizations make their hires uh, pretty quickly uh, when they don't need to, especially if there's not like an A-list name on the market. Like I think doc rivers was that guy for a bit, but there was only a small window of time where mm. he could have been available for a team. So other than that type of guy, there wasn't really a name on the market. So I thought a lot of these teams kind of rushed to make, to fill their, their uh, space ahead coach a little bit too quickly, but in general, I think uh, the Rockets like to take their time with head coaches. Yeah, I think that's probably a smart play too, because what's different about the Rockets than a lot of searches is the fact that Daryl Morey has a lot more say in who the assistants are as well. A lot of these searches keep in mind, it's effectively a situation where the GM will hire the coach, and then the coach will go out and basically fill his staff or perhaps uh, inherit some guys that are already there. With the Rockets, I don't know that Daryl wants to outright say that he picks them all, but at a bare minimum, he's heavily involved. Remember this back when uh, Jeff Bezdelic was let go after the 2019 playoffs, and they asked D'Antoni about it, and D'Antoni basically said that he was disappointed, but that you'd have to ask Daryl, that it was his decision. And so I think in this situation, because Daryl has a heavier hand in not just selecting the head coach, but the entire staff, which naturally they want they want to have the staff fit within the overall analytics movement, the principles that they want, then some of these guys that they're talking to 
potentially it's not just the head coach that they could be considered for, but they could try and make an offer the same way they did when they brought in Mike D'Antoni. They had Jeff Vesdelic ready to go as an extremely accomplished top assistant to effectively handle the defense. And that marriage worked very well for three seasons or most of three seasons. I know that we're just, there was the awkward breakup early in the 2018-2019 uh, season. But I think we've heard reports that for Gerald, it's not just the head coach. It's also about the entire staff. It's about the right combination, the relationship. That's what Woj reported between especially the head coach and the top assistant. So in my opinion, what you're seeing now, it's not just the head coach, which is what happens in a lot of these searches. And you know, certainly there's a lot of networking that goes into it. You want to pick the brains of all these smart guys. It doesn't it certainly can't hurt to make contacts, but beyond that, I think the Rockets are keeping an open mind on, okay, not just who the head coach is, but are some of these guys potentially a good candidate for, say, an elite assistant role, the same way that Jeff Bezdelic was uh, four years ago when they hired Mike D'Antoni? To me, that's part of what's going on with the length and the overall depth of this search. Yeah, 100%. And uh, what you talked about, how Darrow has kind of autonomy over the head coach, I, I, I do believe it is kind of collaborative because I think Mike D'Antoni had a say in Jeff Bizdelic because those guys had a sure. prior relationship yeah. before him. It's not like Darrow picks it himself. That's why you know I'm kind of careful with how I phrase it because it's not like Darrow is so heavy-handed that he's just going to say, this is how it goes. No, it's a it's a collaborative assessment between you know the other members of his staff, the head coach, but he wants to be involved in those discussions and part of it too through this interviewing process you know they get a feel for what personalities might work well together what are the previous relationships so there's a lot of things that go into it but yeah i think all of that kind of plays into why the search for the rockets moves a little bit faster than it does or or a little bit slower not as fast as it does for a lot of other teams yeah and i suspect that you know darrow does just essentially pick some of the coaching staff himself. Like I think Brett Gunning is, is a, an example of a guy who's stayed with the organization for a right. reason. Daryl likes him, uh, yep. and there's and there's a reason he keeps coming back. And I suspect he's going to be back in the, whatever next iteration mm-hmm. of the next coaching staff is. And uh, you know, I think John Lucas is a guy who the Rockets want to bring back for their, for whatever coach they bring back. Like I think I think. It's more like they, you're right, they, they talk to the guy, they assess what kind of coach do they want alongside him. And, you know, there's also the links between the agents. Like Jeff Bizdelic was a client of Warren Legary. And that's like, it's not a coincidence that he ended up on the staff. Like, I think a lot of that networking makes sense. And I think uh, the Rockets are definitely going to look at that kind of stuff when they make their decision with the staff. I, but, what they're doing right now does not hurt because I, I I do believe that when you look at the market right now, there's not a an A plus guy just clearly available for them. And I thought Doc was that guy. He's no longer there, and so they can afford to take their time. And even if like someone like let's just say Tyron Lue goes mm-hmm. off the table, I think a lot of these coaches are more than qualified to step in and be really good coaches. So I don't I think they can afford to take their time. Um, so. Here are the coaches they've interviewed so far and the ones they are playing the interview. So David Vanderpool, Steven Silas, Wes Unsell Jr., Kenny Atkinson, Tyron Liu, Jeff Van Gundy, and John Lucas. Did I miss any uh, on that list? Yeah, one more. Chris Finch, according to Kelly Eco this week, uh, Finch is on their list. So I would add him to it. So he he's actually been interviewed. I don't know if he's been interviewed. He said he's... It, he was listed with all the others that you named is on the radar. It wasn't exactly clear if he's interviewed yet, but at a bare minimum, they're interested in speaking with him. So I would include him on the list. Okay. I'll write him down. So 
out of all these candidates, I'll, I, so we're we're, we're going to do an exercise here for for this podcast. Uh, I'm going to ask you three questions, and your answers can overlap between these three questions. But I mm-hmm. I just I just happen to have uh, three different answers here. Um, which coach intrigues you the most? Which do you think is the most logical? And which coach do you think they'll end up going with? So uh, I'll go first and okay. with most intriguing. So all along, I had Chris Finch as my most intriguing head coach. I mm-hmm. I think when you name all the head coaches on the market, he's just the most like, I think he has the most ties with the Rockets. I think he has uh, a very intriguing background in terms of his overseas record. Mm-hmm. I think a lot, he's highly regarded by other assistant head coaches. He's regarded as this really creative out of the box thinker. So I think he has a very Nick nurse kind of profile in that way. And I don't know. It just makes a lot of sense for, for Chris Finch to get his first opportunity with the Rockets. The interesting thing about Finch, you know, it's not just that he profiles similarly to Nurse. He and Nurse are actually pretty good friends. They have very similar backgrounds. Both were coaches with the Vipers, so they had the Rockets experience. They actually were in the uh, British Basketball League at the same time, I believe, late 90s, uh, early 2000s. Remarkable how similar they are in terms of uh, not just their philosophies and their backgrounds, but, you know, just right down to the leagues and the organizations that they've been on. So, yeah, you can certainly see that. Actually, I'll mention him. He was one of my guys that I had as the most logical for that reason. Uh, most intriguing. So I'll throw you one that's honorable mention because I don't think it's going to happen. But since we're saying intriguing, what happens if they explore bringing Mike D'Antoni back? I don't think that's going to happen. Wow. But the only you're, reason you're, I'm you're, saying you're, this... You're breaking the exercise. You can't do this, Ben. You, you can't surprise I me. I know. I know. I just want to throw it out there. I I would say it's like a one in a hundred shot. But the only reason why I'm mentioning it is that it felt like when Mike informed the Rockets that he wasn't returning, that he and Warren Legary felt like they had a landing spot. Probably Philadelphia looked like he was 100% going to get that job until Doc Rivers unexpectedly became available. We've heard rumors early on with uh, D'Antoni and the Pacers. Hasn't there hasn't seemed to be much traction there of late. At 69 years old, I don't think D'Antoni wants to sit out a year and try and hit the market again when he's 70. So maybe the Doc Rivers thing took away his landing spot. And if the Rockets truly wanted him back, maybe there is a scenario where they can come back to the table and talk about it. I don't think it'll happen. There have been no rumors of that. It's just something that's kind of been in the back of my mind ever since the Philadelphia job got filled. And as soon as Mike informed the Rockets, it felt like all of the momentum was pointing to D'Antoni in Philly. Surprisingly, that did not happen. So while I don't think it's likely, I would just say not totally 100% ruling it out. 99, 99.5% ruling it out. As far as amongst the actual candidates that we have, the most intriguing to me is Stephen Silas. Because when I think intriguing, I think upside. And at this point, He's still in his 40s. He's very young, but his work ethic, his likability is apparently through the roof. Everyone raves about him. There's a reason why when he was in his low 40s, four years ago, he was apparently the second place runner up to Mike D'Antoni, fairly similar in terms of offensive philosophies. And when he was in Charlotte, one of the criticisms was, okay, how much pedigree does this guy actually have? Because it's not like the coaching staffs in Charlotte were especially 
elite. His experience was fairly limited at that point. Well, since then, he's gone from the Hornets to now working for Rick Carlisle, one of the best coaches in the league on a playoff team in Dallas. And a playoff team that, by the way, just had the most efficient offense in NBA history. So it's one of those situations. I understand the downsides. He hasn't been a head coach before. You don't have that much in terms of the floor scenario. You know, it's a little lower than some other candidates, but I would just say in terms of upside, and that's what I think of when I say the word intriguing, when I hear it, I think upside. Steven Silas, with his work ethic, with how liked he is around the league, and the fact that he's coming off a year in Dallas in which he worked for one of the best coaches in the league, in my opinion, and just led the number one offense by efficiency marks in NBA history, to me, that's the most intriguing. Combine that with the fact that it's pretty clear that Gerald Morey liked him in the search four years ago. And so that's why he's my uh, Mr. Intriguing as far as this search goes. So I want to touch on the Mike D'Antoni stuff before I get to Steven Silas. So sure. I'm glad. I'm actually glad you, you, you mentioned this possibility because after the Philly job got filled up by Doc Rivers, it was definitely something that surprised me because it really seemed like those guys were headed to an agreement. And they quickly pivoted to Doc Rivers as soon as he came on the market. and. Yeah, it it was the most logical spot for Mike D'Antoni, and now there doesn't seem to be a logical spot for Mike D'Antoni. And it's it's very peculiar how there hasn't been any talk with Mike D'Antoni in Indiana. Like that's been mm. a theor it's been a theorized, you know, possibility. I don't think it's been very heavily reported. It's it's been something, you know, like oh, right. it, it, it'd be kind of fun if Mike D'Antoni coached the the Pacers, right? But it hasn't been like oh, the, Mike D'Antoni's interviewing with the Pacers today, or the Pacers are interview are are heavily interested in Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. You haven't heard anything like that. And I don't think the Pacers are willing to pay what Mike D'Antoni wants, uh, frankly. I, th- I think Mike D'Antoni wants a pretty hefty sum of cash for his services right now. And the, the Pacers have historically not paid their head coaches like that. And I don't know. It's, it's interesting. There doesn't seem to be a, a like a, a landing spot for him right now. Maybe the Pelicans. That, that's, inter- that's interesting, right? Like if the Rockets hire like Tyron Lue, like the Pelicans' A plus option seems to be gone. So at that point, exploring Mike D'Antoni makes a lot of sense. But other than that, there hasn't been a lot of. It's been very quiet in a very peculiar kind of way. Absolutely. And, and you, you just wonder, you know, maybe three a.m. in the morning on uh, October fifteenth, you get a, a Woj notification. The Rockets have contacted, you know, Mike D'Antoni's res, you know, rep- representation. You know, just about the possibility. You know, it's it's just going to be out there. It's somewhat throw the possibility out there. It's something I definitely tweeted after Doc got the Philly job because, and a lot of Rockets fans got mad at me because they have all mentally moved on from Mike D'Antoni, and uh, I get it. Like it's, I, I don't want to touch on that too much, but it is very much a they want a fresh, fresh voice. But you know, I'm not sure if a fresh voice is 100 percent the best possible option. I. And there's been too much reporting, in my opinion. I mentioned the Jonathan Fagan stories earlier. There's been way too much reporting throughout the year and even after D'Antoni left that the Rockets intended to bring him back for me to think that it's all lip service. There's been way too much out there for me to think that the Rockets were not interested in at least exploring the possibility of bringing him back. One final point I'll throw out there. Remember last offseason, everybody thought the negotiations were off as far as the contract extension. They had the first wave in like the middle of May. 
And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, oh, uh, Tillman Fertitta and Daryl Morey flew up to West Virginia to meet with him. And that's when they thought the second time that they were going to get an agreement on an extra year to his contract. Unfortunately, that ended up kind of falling through as well. But just keep in mind, it wasn't like you had these leaks that, oh, they're looking to do this. No, people just sort of assumed, OK, it's not going to work out. He's going to be a lame duck. And oh, by the way, we're trying this again. So, you know, the Rockets, they don't leak many things. Something could come out of nowhere like that. We've seen them do it with D'Antoni in the past. So while I don't think it's likely, I'm right there with you. You can't 100% rule it out. Yeah. And, you know, as as they go through the interview process, they're likely contacting a bunch of Warren Legary clients. So I, you just wonder if if that relationship is getting healed in a way as they go through this process, because there's no awesome. way like like he's a power agent. There's no way he, they haven't contacted one of his clients yet. Sure. So you I, I just wonder if that relationship gets healed at some point. And if, if, if that does, the logical next step is, you know, at least reaching out about Mike D'Antoni. Um, so you mentioned Steven Silas, and, and I ha- actually had him down before you mentioned I could say Chris Finch. Because I as soon as you mentioned Chris Finch, I went immediately there. Chris Finch, right? Yep. Uh, so Steven Silas, this is a guy they almost hired four years ago. All indications say that he's really bright and knowledgeable and he ha- he's had a ton of experience for an assistant coach. Like he's been around the NBA his whole life because of his father mm-hmm. and he's worked in the league since the 90s. Like he's almost overqualified to be an associate head coach at this point. So he's my most intriguing. I just you know if they were going to go with the fresh face new assistant type, if it wasn't going to be Chris Finch, Steven Silas is definitely right up there. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It it just checks so many boxes, and we know that over the tenure of Daryl Morey in Houston, he's not someone that often plays it safe. Every interview you hear Daryl talking about, they think about the upside scenarios because they're trying to win a ring. And in this case, given the configuration of the roster, maximizing the offense may be the way to do it. So I would just say that Within how they often frame their decision-making, not about the floor scenario, but the ceiling, Stephen Silas is pretty intriguing. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gives you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you the full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager on than anyone else. 
You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So, next category logical fit. For this category, I have down Tyron Lue. So whenever I ask anyone around the league about the Rockets job, Tyron Lue comes up the most as the they should hire this guy name, right? Like Tyron Lue has great interpersonal skills. He's a former player, has a unique ability to connect with star players. Like you saw this in Cleveland, like he mended that relationship with Kevin Love in a way that, you know, I, I don't I don't know if fans remember how fractured that relationship became with Kevin Love and the Cavs. It got to the point where people were starting to question whether Kevin Love would return in free agency. And Tyron Lue was able to fix that relationship right away when he stepped in as head coach. He made him a more central part of the offense. Uh, He connected with LeBron in a way that David Blatt was never able to. So that to me is like the most important element of this job. Like the ability to relate to James Harden and Russell Westbrook on day one is extremely valuable in my opinion. Mike D'Antoni was able to establish that relationship quickly with both players and it worked out well for him. Uh, He's also a really good offensive coach and I still don't think he gets enough credit for that from his time in Cleveland. Like he's been talked about for all these job openings and you keep hearing about the interpersonal skills element. But man, the guy knows his X's and O's and we talked about this last week and how this may be like an unfair trope about blackhead coaches in the league, but they're always labeled like quote unquote players coaches for some reason. Yeah. I think, and I think that's unfair. Like we should do a better job of addressing that as a media. Like I agree. He, he's really good with the X's and O's. He, he doesn't get enough credit for it. Yeah, I can totally see that with uh, Tyron Lou. I worry about the price tag with him and some will think that that's a shot at Tillman. Not really. I mean, the Lakers of all teams could not close a deal with Tyron Lue last offseason, and then they pivoted to uh, Frank Vogel, which obviously has worked out as we're recording this. They're on the verge of winning the championship. So when I say that Lue's price tag might be too expensive, we've heard that he's asking for $7 million a year at least, which make him, I think, at least top three in the NBA, at least based on the contracts from this past season. I know there's a new wave right now, and none of these deals are 100% verified, so there's some wiggle room. But he's asking for a lot. Obviously, it's been a rough year, number one, for Tillman Fertitta. And then secondly, the Rockets just have so many other good candidates. I just don't know if it's worth it for them to go that high for Tyron Lue when you have so many other very qualified guys as well. So that's kind of part of my hesitation with Tyron. I also think that there's so much smoke involving him and the Clippers and the Clippers players apparently having a preference for him. We know that Kawhi and PG, there's an inflection point with their potential free agencies that, you know, they they have to cater to that core to some degree, even more than Harden and Westbrook, who can't become free agents until 2022. So my bet is that Lou ends up with the Clippers. One of the things that has me a little pessimistic about Lou and the Rockets, how many times has his interview been pushed back, his scheduled interview? You know, I remember, I believe it was last week, he was first supposed to interview. Then it was going to be early this week. And now it's supposed to be, you know, we heard from uh, Mark Stein today in the New York Times that it still hasn't happened yet, but it's scheduled to. So it just doesn't really seem like for a lot of reasons that the Rockets are on the front burner for Lou. I do agree that uh, he makes a lot of sense. The logical guy for me, well, one of them is Finch, but you already touched on the reasons why I I find him, you know, I agree with you that he's intriguing, but he's also logical because of his 
experience with the Rockets. He profiles fairly similarly to uh, Nick Nurse. He's got a good relationship, I believe, with Daryl Morey. So to me, you could call him intriguing. You could also call him logical. The other logical guy I would throw out there is uh, Kenny Atkinson, just because he is a former head coach. A lot of these guys are assistants, which the Rockets are not afraid of guys that it's going to be their first head coaching job. But at the same time, with a veteran team, one of the oldest cores in the league, both superstars, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, 31 years old, it's very much a win-now situation. You want to do everything you can to win as many games next year as you can and try and compete for a championship. Maybe you want the floor of a guy who has been a head coach before, and certainly Atkinson did some very good things with the Nets. Beyond having been a head coach before, he's very analytics-friendly. He was actually an assistant for Mike D'Antoni. So in terms of you know, if you want to keep a lot of elements of what Mike D'Antoni does, Atkinson knows that because he's been an assistant for D'Antoni back when he was with the Knicks. He's actually been with Daryl Morey before back in 2007. I think it was just for one year, but he was the director of player development. So he's worked with Mike. He's worked with Daryl. He's been a head coach. He's analytics friendly. So Atkinson, and he has interviewed this week. We heard that from Ali Khan Bishani. Um, he checks a lot of the boxes. So to me, I would say he counts as logical. Not going to say he's at the top of my list, but if they picked him, I would understand why, because he does check a lot of the boxes. So I'm glad you mentioned Kenny Atkinson, because he was actually my backup logical, just in case we mentioned uh, Tyron Lue before we got to this, this category. Okay. Because so, so Kenny Atkinson was, in my opinion, I think he got a raw deal in Brooklyn. Like, I, I really do. I, I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of the reasons he was let go was, you know, some of the interpersonal dynamics. Like, I think not playing DeAndre Jordan was a part of that decision. Like, I think he really uh, got wanted to go in a different direction. And it seemed like the players in that decision, in that situation, you know, handpicked their next head coach, which is fine. You know, star players should have a say in their head coach. I think James Harden and Russell Westbrook should be, you know, talked to when the, when the Rockets make their decision, right? I, I think star players are a natural place to go to when you're talking about counsel. For your when you're picking your next head coach, but um, yeah, I, I thought he got a raw deal in Brooklyn, and I think he, the way he likes to play, right? Like he likes to shoot a lot of threes, he likes to shoot a lot of free throws, and he likes to get to the rim, right? Like that—that's the Rockets. Like his the shot profile he came into with Brooklyn, like the Brooklyn wasn't playing like this until Kenny Atkinson got there. So he's very modern. He's very progressive as in that way, uh, and. Obviously, he has that tie with Houston. He has the tie with Mike D'Antoni. So it's a very logical fit there. And, I, you know, I, I feel like a lot of guys are labeling Kenny Atkinson as a developmental coach. And I hate when we put these coaches in boxes like this. I think he can coach a really good team. He just hasn't had the opportunity to. And I think it'd be interesting to see him in a different situation, like a non-young team. Because I think people are putting him down for these young team jobs. And I'm just like, what if he didn't have a young team? What if he had a veteran team? Like, how would he, how would he do that? Yeah, I think that's the real question is the contrast between Adkinson and what they had in the nets with the team he inherited. I went and looked back for my Rockets wire story. The first year that he was in Brooklyn, they went 20 and 62. They were in the aftermath of that just, debilitating uh, rebuilding sequence in which they gave up so many picks for uh, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Basically, the older version of the Celtics didn't really work at all, and it crippled them for a few years. And, you know, that's sort of 
the one word of caution that I would have about Kenny. He did very well in those circumstances, and they seemed to develop the players, the young guys, quite capably. But is that the same as the win-now immediate pressure that you have in a situation where James Harden's going to be 31, Russell Westbrook will be 32? Everything is about win-now. Do everything you can to squeeze out any any margin there is to increase your odds, whatever they are, of winning a title in 2021. To me, that's the real question with Atkinson. He checks a lot of the boxes, but for a contender that is all about winning now, is he that guy? It's kind of like Mike Malone in that way, right? Like mm-hmm. after he left Sacramento, he was labeled this developmental guy too. And then a contender hired him. And then we started to view him as a you know, a coach who could coach a contender, right? Because mm-hmm. you can only you can only be viewed as that until you coach a contender. So it's very much in that kind of a line. I think it's I think he's very much capable. I just, I just want to see him get the opportunity. Um so for this last for this last category, uh who do you think will get the job? So I went twice already and I, I have a feeling we have the same answer here. So I, I I want you to go first. Okay. Um in terms of who I think it will be, so I'll start with an honorable mention. I know I'm cheating again, but it would not floor me if it was John Lucas. I think the reports of him being an emerging candidate, his relationships with James Harden and Russell Westbrook, that's not irrelevant. He's got experience with the players. He's got relationships. He knows the D'Antoni system. He's been here for four years. So I don't think that's impossible. With that said, the one word of caution I would say, you know, you don't want this to be a situation like the um, Washington Wizards hiring Scott Brooks because they thought it would get you know, Kevin Durant there. And of course, in this case, Harden is already in Houston, but everybody's worried about, well, 2022 can become a free agent. 2021, there's sort of an inflection point with regards to, okay, if you don't really feel good about the direction, do you have to consider other options? 2022 is one of the only two years moving up. The Rockets also have full control of their uh, first round draft pick as well. So while I would say John Lucas, you know, you can see why superficially they would be interested. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. He's a good coach. I'm just saying it can't just be about the relationship with Harden and Westbrook. So while I do I do acknowledge that it's possible, he's a very nice guy and it would not shock me if he were to get the job. At the same time, I don't think that you can uh, just give it to him based on the relationships because ultimately you know, if we're talking about making James Harden, Russell Westbrook happy and trying to win a championship, ultimately that comes down to winning. And even if superficially there might be certain guys that they really like, the bottom line is you win more games, then you're going to you're gonna obviously have a better shot at the championship. And that's what these guys all want to play for. So while I do think John Lucas is a candidate, I wouldn't put him at the top of the list just because at, at the bottom line, there are guys that are more proven at least uh, – at least in terms of their NBA experience, John has not been a head coach since uh, 2003, I believe. So they might go for someone a little more recent than that. Slightly more recent, actually, and the guy that I think is going to end up getting the job, and that's Jeff Van Gundy. I've hinted at that for a while, and I just feel like there's been way too many dots um, that connect him to this vacancy. The stalled-out nature of the search, the fact that this is gone on for a month without any resolution in sight what's the most logical reason for why that would be they're waiting on someone that's in the nba bubble and can't sit down with them and that's jeff and gundy who's announcing we know that 
he generally has a very good relationship with Daryl Morey. He's worked with Daryl before. Apparently, Daryl wanted him in 2016, but Les Alexander, then the owner, wanted to go in a more offensive direction. That does not appear to be the case with Tillman Fertitta, who's said to be a fan of Jeff as well. The other thing that you know I like about Jeff, first off, you know it's true he has not been a coach since leaving the Rockets in 2007 in the NBA. He has still coached with USA Basketball, so he's not been out of the game for 13 years the way some would have you believe. I do think it's fair to ask him questions about his philosophies, his schemes on offense, because we know back in the day that was an issue with him. But assuming he has the right answers, and again, he has stayed in coaching to some degree, I think there's way too much um, smoke for there not to be a little bit of fire in terms of the connections between Jeff Van Gundy and the Rockets. To make a crossword analogy, it feels a little bit like the rumors for all those years involving John Gruden. People thought he'd never come out of broadcasting until he actually did. And it was actually back with his old team, the Raiders. I think a similar thing may end up happening with uh, Jeff Van Gundy and the Rockets. Just checks a lot of the boxes. He's kind of at 58 years old now, a win-now coach. The Rockets are a win-now situation. He's got relationships with James Harden, with Russell Westbrook, from certainly uh, his duties with Team USA, but also broadcasting. The last point I'll make on Van Gundy that makes him intriguing to me um, his duties as the top NBA analyst, basically in the game for ABC, he's made a lot of connections around the league. You go back in the day, his coaching tree was actually pretty strong. People talk about Tom Thibodeau, who's still getting jobs. He was the top assistant with the Rockets way back when. There were a lot of guys that got chances from that Jeff Van Gundy tree. And so I think especially, yeah, there's another one. And now that he's coming back in, as I mentioned earlier, or assuming he comes back in, there's a report today, I think it was Brian Windhorst saying that Ben Gundy was very interested in getting back into the game. He has these relationships that he's been able to build through his broadcasting. He talks to all these guys. He sees them really. He goes all around the league broadcasting all sorts of different games, talking to these coaches, to these teams. He's got relationships. He's got the Team USA experience as well. So I think there's a good shot that Jeff Van Gundy would be able to put a star staff around him. And that's something that we've heard a lot. And maybe it's a case where Jeff Van Gundy only wants to coach for three, four more years. And then one of these guys that's a top assistant for Van Gundy thinks that they can use this as a springboard to getting the job themselves in a few years. I just think Van Gundy is the kind of name. He's got the relationships to where it's not just about Jeff and Daryl and the Rockets. I think he's a good fit. I think he's respected. But I think Jeff could also potentially be very good from the perspective of his relationship his pedigree, his brand around the game of basketball might help you with regards to filling in the entire staff around him. And that's what we've heard is pretty big for the Rockets, that just the head coach, it's also the assistants, it's the entire infrastructure. And to me, Jeff Van Gundy as the head coach might sort of be the straw that stirs the drink. Yeah, I had down Jeff Van Gundy too. Uh, guess what I had written down in my notes here? Um, Trying to take a guess. Uh Something about defense, because I know that's the, um, you know, you go back to Jeff Van Gundy with his days in the Knicks and the Rockets, and you had these 75-74 finals. Um, Rockets were, I know their defense improved in the playoffs, but they were like middle of the pack in the regular season. I think that's where you'd see an obvious upgrade, the defense, the toughness, something about that. Yeah, I had that down too, but I also had down smoke equals fire, which is what you just mentioned there, right? Right, like there's just so much smoke over the past few years. Like his name has been synonymous with the organization every time there's been a head coach opening. And I think the two parties want to reconcile. Like I, I really do think the Rockets wanted to bring Jeff back in 2007. 
Same thing with Mike D'Antoni here. Like, I think, I think it's one of those things where like, they just never got a clear communication structure with, with mm-hmm. Jeff and the, the, the two parties, you know, went separate ways. And it's one of those things where I think, I think Daryl has always been intrigued by Jeff ever like in, in terms of bringing him back. And I think I, at the very least, Jeff will be a finalist for the, for this job. And also, I'm not sure if you mentioned this. Jeff also lives in Houston, right? Like he's yep. he, like he's adopted the city in a way I've never seen an outsider adopt the city. Like if you hear him on the broadcast, he's the most Houston guy you ever you over here, right? Like he always talks about like like the Texans, Bucky's, like every random Houston connection you can Astros, yeah. yeah, Astros. Like I think he's even mentioned Waterburger on the broadcast. Like he's mentioned everything you can possibly think of in terms of Houston. So and he's comfortable here. He has family, you know, family roots laid down here. It makes a lot of sense from the personal dynamics. Makes a lot of sense that he already he already has that relationship with Daryl. So it's not going to be. And and by the way, that relationship with Daryl has been. Not just like, oh, that he coached here in 2007. It's like, no, like Daryl has maintained that relationship with Jeff, like yep. up until now. Like these guys are friends. Like it's different from a lot of these other candidates where like, okay, they, they might have coached here, but way back when, and they're, the Rockets are bringing him back for an interview. Like, no, Daryl is, has a established relationship with Jeff. Uh, so that, that to me makes it obvious. And, you know, I, I, I you're going to hear, you're going to hear the knock a lot. He hasn't coached in 13 years. That. Totally true. Totally reasonable for you to have questions. But again, he's watched basketball for the past 13 years. I, I think he's an intelligent guy. I think he's he's malleable. I, I think I don't like putting coaches in boxes. I, I think he can coach a different style if he were given a different roster. And it, it'd be, it should be interesting to see how he would do with a modern day roster. And it's one of those things where like he's probably the, the biggest wild card here in that I don't know how he would look with the Rockets. Whereas I, I, I can look at these other coaches and I'm like, okay, I have a feeling I know how the Rockets will play under this yeah. coach. I don't know how the Rockets will play under Jeff and Gundy. Yeah. That I don't to, either. That to me is, is why it's so interesting. Yeah, I agree. And you know, someone asked me today, you know, what my questions were about Jeff and the bottom line, it, it comes down to what his offensive identity is, what his principles are. I feel pretty confident that it's not what it was back in the mid 2000s. Number one, the NBA doesn't really play that way anyway. And secondly, I don't really see Daryl Morey wanting to turn the Rockets, what they've been on offense the last few years, into what Van Gundy ball was 15 years ago. With that said, who are they going to post up? Are they going to post up PJ Tucker? (laughs) Like, they're not going to post up anybody on the scene. Yeah. And, And with that said, you know, we've heard from. Jeff, you know, he's done some conferences, he's done some podcasts, he doesn't really have the same beliefs that he used to either. He has evolved. But in terms of what that actually is, we haven't seen it at the NBA level. So in terms of what the questions are, I think he has the pedigree, he has the brand name, I think that he could get a good staff, I think players would want to play for him, I think it checks a lot of boxes, but yeah... You know, the bizarre thing is that while I feel pretty decent that he would be a good coach, I honestly don't know. I'm right there with you in terms of how it would actually look on the floor because we haven't seen it. So the bottom line is there's a lot of reasons that he makes sense. I think generally speaking, the intensity, the toughness, the defense, the attention to detail, all of that is very good. But in terms of the questions, you know, yeah, you do want to sit down and talk to him about you know, what are your offensive principles? What do you believe in? And some of it may have to do with what the uh, staff is as well, who he's able to pair with him. And maybe Jeff would have some input on that. But um, yeah, that to me is what makes it intriguing because while I do think I would like a Jeff Van Gundy hire, at the same time, I can't really tell you how I 
think that it would look on the floor the way we could with Chris Finch or Steven Silas or Kenny Atkinson or Tyron Lue, the guys we've been talking about for a lot of this podcast. So yeah, that's the odd thing about Jeff is that he's the most experienced of them all. He's probably the biggest brand name. And yet we don't really know how it would look on the floor because so much is obviously going to have to change from when he last coached in the NBA. Yeah, I have a ton of questions about Jeff. And, it, it, you know, all, all of them would be different. Like, you mentioned the offense. I'd definitely ask about that. Also, the defense. Like, like the Rockets switch everything on defense. That's a very new school philosophy. It's not like pick and roll where, like, pick and roll has been around for at least the last 15 years, right? Like, in terms of a teams putting a, a heavy emphasis on it. Uh, switching everything on defense, that's like a last four or five years type of thing, right? Like, that's very different. Like the Warriors introduced that. And the Rockets started doing that in 2018. So, like, I wonder if Jeff wants to switch everything on defense. I wonder if he wants a traditional big back there to play a drop back defense. Like, it's, I, I wonder how he wants to defend, too. And this would also be one of those hires where I feel like the Rockets would have a heavy say in his assistant coaching staff. Like, I, I think Brett Gunnings would be a logical fit right there as that lead assistant. Like, because, yep. you know, Brett Gunnings has designed a lot of their offense over the past you know, 10 years. And it would, it would make a lot of sense for to pair him with Jeff, right? As, as, yep. as Jeff uh, controls the defense, Brett Gunnings can, you know, kind of draw up a lot of these plays. It'd be, it'd be, it'd, it'd be so interesting. And, and that's it, how you would retain that D'Antoni system continuity that they've talked about. Right, right. Yeah. And it, it, it would definitely be like the Jeff Van Gundy press conference would be the longest press conference. Oh, God, yeah. History. Right. Like there's just a ton of questions to ask him. And um, yeah, it, I, I think I think Jeff right now, as it stands right now, he's probably the betting favorite for this yep. job. I think he is, too. Yeah. Well, listen, Ben, this was so much fun. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Is any is there anything you want to plug for your either your writing or your podcasting, whatever? Yeah, just uh, Ben Dubose on Twitter, the RocketsWire on Twitter, and then RocketsWire.usatoday.com. Um, it's a little slower than it was this time a month ago. At this point, we're just waiting on more news to break. But yeah, every day we've got stories. And yeah, check out RocketsWire, and we'll have daily updates on the coaching search, all the twists and turns. And hopefully within a week or two, we'll ha- actually have some uh, resolution and then that press conference in which we can talk about um, what the new coach and his staff is actually going to look like. Did you write about Steve Kerr, the Steve Kerr comments? I did actually, yeah. yeah that, that it's it's just it's fascinating. So if you if you look at Kerr over the last few years, he just randomly throws jabs at the rocket. It's not just like a oh, yeah. this this situation thing. He went like out of his way, yeah, he yeah. went out of his way. Yeah, and it's 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 like it's not even like like the interviewer like was talking about the Rockets or like talking about like anything related to do with like the past few years and their history. It's just he just was a drive by shooting and right. <laughs> And if if you go back when the Rockets and Warriors were playing each other regularly, Steve Kerr would just randomly throw in these jabs about, oh, he's drawing oh, sure. all these fouls, or yeah. oh, the Rockets run this offense that I don't like very much. It's just, Remember the accidental tweet that was supposed to be a DM? Right. Yes. Yes. The, yeah. the traveling. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. it's 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 a there's just a lot of stuff there. I want the I want the Warriors to be good next year. Because if, yeah. if if they're good next year, reviving that Rockets Warriors beef would be so much fun. Yeah, it would be, and I think as much as the the Warriors fans like to act like they're above the Rockets, the proof is in the pudding. Steve Kerr does that because the Rockets have gotten under their skin. They were really the only team in that run 
the Warriors won the Western Conference for five straight years. That's incredible dominance. You know, it gets forgotten because they didn't have that long of a streak in terms of NBA Finals because they lost to Cleveland in 2016 and then Toronto in 2019. But five straight years of winning the West is insane. It doesn't really get talked about because, I don't know, for some reason, like with the NBA, you know, with Major League Baseball, for example, if a team wins their league, even if they don't win the World Series, which is their equivalent of the NBA Finals, like it's still a huge deal to win your league. In the NBA, for whatever reason, even if you win the West or the East, it's not always remembered, I guess, because sometimes, you know, one league can be really weak. But, I mean, honestly, with regards to the Warriors winning the West, which was largely loaded during those five years, five straight years, is incredible. And really, during those five years in the playoffs, the Rockets were the only team to push them. So I think on some level, even though the fans like to act like the, the Rockets are beneath them and they just roll their eyes, on some level, yeah, you know, they got under the Warriors' skin a little bit because they were a threat. They were the only team that dared to go after them that had some success against them in the playoffs. And, you know, stylistically, certainly the Rockets are unique. But also, I just think it's in general a lot of competitive battles. They've had four playoff series. The last two went uh, six, seven games. Yeah, the Rockets got under their skin. And I think part of it, they got under their skin because they're good. And as much as Warriors fans hate to admit it, I do think that, you know, and I, I don't think that's that much consolation to Rockets fans, unfortunately, because you want the success of actually having beaten them. But no, I think Steve Kerr and some of those Warriors, they don't like the Rockets. Why don't they like them? Because they have threatened them to some degree. And that's why I think the Rockets get under their skin in a way that uh, other teams that, you know, they beat relatively easily don't. Yeah, it, it, and you mentioned the thing about how the the NBA for some reason has this tradition of not celebrating playoff wins, and that that to me is probably the, my least favorite element of the NBA. Right? right. Like I, I'm watching baseball this year, and it, like the, the Astros are are celebrating every after they get past it's, every round, and that's so fun. And I don't well, understand why the NBA the playoffs are hard. Like I don't understand yeah. why why you don't celebrate these small it, moments. Especially because the season is so long. I mean, normally 82 games, six months of the regular season, being the best team over the regular season, the course of, you know, the playoffs in your league, that's a big deal. You know, with baseball, for example, even though the Astros didn't win the World Series last year, you know, they had a ring ceremony this year because they won the American League. That's a big deal. Whereas in the NBA, for whatever reason, I mean, they do have a trophy for the Western Conference, but as far as fans, as far as the significance, you know, you, you're not going to give them rings uh, the, the next season. I think that's unfortunate because, you know, especially in the West, which is a bloodbath, you know, honestly, the Warriors should be remembered as winning five straight uh, Western Conference titles. And a lot of people don't even think about that. So I'm right there with you, especially in a sport that's as long as the NBA, which is basically the same length as Major League Baseball. Not as many games, so you don't play every day, but it's the same overall length. You should reward that to some degree. You know, with football, I get why you don't do it because there's only 16 games. It's very short. So, yeah, the playoffs are kind of their own entity. But um, with the long sports like basketball and baseball, there's got to be more than just, you know, I'm right there with you. It's stupid to act like that every team but the one that wins the end of, you know, the playoff tournament is worthless. And, oh, it's all just a terrible year, blah, blah, blah. No, I mean, there should be other benchmarks that are worth celebrating the same way that you do in, say, international soccer. And so I'm right there with you. The, the Warriors should be remembered a lot more for that. Yeah, for some reason, we only do that with underdogs. Like, we're doing that this year with the Heat. Like, we're celebrating every little victory they have. But for some reason, yeah. we, don't, we don't do that with, like, the heavy favorites. Like, when, when the when the Lakers made the NBA Finals, there wasn't this, you know, vast celebration. And there should have been. They haven't made the Finals in 10 years. Like, that's a crazy thing to accomplish. 
and for some reason you know i don't know we have we could get into a bunch of different categories here and i want to end the podcast thank you so much for coming on ben uh this was fun absolutely thanks for having me bud for sure